Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Tuesday, August 9th, 2016. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca, recording from a remote location. No spiel today, but I do note that 50 top former or current GOP security officials have joined together to declare that Donald Trump lacks the character, values, and experience to be president. Now, the problem is that the kind of people who would listen to the words of 50 top GOP security officials are probably not Trump voters anyway. And when you or I hear the names, he said, flattering you, because you obviously know who Michael Hayden and Robert Zolik and Tom Ridge and Michael Chertoff are, you're like, whoa, those are some heavy hitters. But do you think a Trump supporter is like, wow, Chertoff said that? I was following him since he was a federal appeals judge. And would it help you to know that he once studied to be a rabbi? Well, it would. I could put that in context. No. The 50 top officials who can have any impact on the minds of the people who may think to follow Trump are not four stars or three stars or heads of Homeland Security. They're people like this. Ha, I'm Dwayne Chapman. You might know me better as Dog the Bounty Hunter. And I'm Paula Dean. And I'm Lee Diane Vanzano. I used to be married to one of the mob wives. Please do not draw any inferences on my profession. And we have come together to say that Donald Trump is a fine reality star. Just like I'm really good at catching criminals. And I'm really good at making cake with full amounts of lard. And I am engaged in totally legitimate businesses. But there is one thing that I should not be elected to. And that's president President. of the United States. And it's not just us. And now here the camera pans back and we see that the three of them who are arranged in a triangle as it pulls up and back that the triangle widens and it's a huge pyramid of what passes for recognizable reality stars. And they all say together, we are reality stars against Trump. Stick to TV, Donald. And then the camera pans completely to the left and we see a hundred or so fully costumed wrestlers and they just say us too and they point at the camera and that's the ad that's the ad that could have some purchase in this election on the show today we're joined by Stuart stevens he's another one of these republican guys with impressive credentials who doesn't like trump so i guess his message is going nowhere but it's going to appear right here right now on the gist I'm here to tell you about one of the most attractive automobiles you're ever going to lay your eyes on. And it's not just how good it looks. It's everything that can do. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior, which won me over, is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing. The interior is built with integrity using the most robust 
of materials. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. The Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. Cargo capacity means you got room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to do what you do via your intellect, via your passions in life. It is to explore with greater confidence. Ready for a wide range of adventures? The Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, the Defender 130 that seats up to eight. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Stuart Stevens is a political consultant. He ran Mitt Romney's 2012 bid for the presidency. He is the author of The Innocent Have Nothing to Fear, a novel set against the backdrop of politics and a contested convention in New Orleans. And I have to say, among conservatives and Republicans on Twitter who really stick it to Donald Trump, he's in my trifecta along with uh, Sonny Bunch and Matt Boot. Stuart Stevens, a great Twitter feed to follow if you want all all the good insight from a Republican mind on why Trump is not the right man for the job. Hello, Stuart. Welcome. Uh, it's great to be here, man. Thanks. So I'm reading your book, and we're always told, we we think about the stuff that Trump is doing and saying, and we're told you can't make this stuff up. But you did to some extent, and it strikes me that what you can't make up is not one or two or three things. It's the totality. It's all the stuff that you wouldn't want to make up because that wouldn't make for good drama or good conflict. You know, that that's, that's a really good point. When I wrote this book, uh, The Innocent Have Nothing to Fear, I wanted to do a dark comic novel about what could happen in our politics. And there was a character, and I, I finished the book long before Trump uh, started running, but there was a character who, as it turns out, was very Trump-like, uh, a populist candidate from Colorado uh, who is for these uh, anti-immigration policies, wants to rewrite the Bill of Rights. But he is someone who, if you just compared the two, would seem much saner than Donald Trump seems. And I, I'm glad that, it, I think, had you tried to push out the stuff that Trump is doing as fiction, it, it would have uh, tipped over to farce. I mean, we have someone who just spent two days as a nominee of a national party talking about a plane in a faraway country that doesn't exist. I mean, who, who attacked the pope, I mean, we were just writing like an HBO show or something. You go like, what if the guy attacked the Pope? Go, no, come on, man. Like, no one attacks the Pope. That's too crazy. You know, if if there wasn't the stakes that, you know, this lunatic could actually be president of the United States, watching Trump would be amusing. Uh, unfortunately... Uh, he is running for president of the United yeah. States. Well, your guy, your your loon, Armstrong George is his name, great character name, but he's a specific type. He's he's more rock-ribbed uh, conservative to the point, you know, to the right of Attila the Hun type guy. And the problem with Trump as a character is his, he's so schizoid. Yeah, uh, you know, Trump, some, some people refer to Trump as a fascist. I really don't give him that compliment because that, that implies an organized political philosophy. Right. Trump's mind, you know, when I think of it, I think of like one of these old pinball machines with just the, the ball bouncing around, sending off different electrical impulses. Um, there's no coherent policy here. And, you know, if you look at his record, he's been all over the place because he doesn't really think or read or he just sort of emotes. But uh, it's one of the great ironies here that you have a Republican who uh, his jobs plan uh, isn't about helping people create new jobs and less regulation and these other things. 
it's about trade. And his trade position is way to the left of Bernie Sanders. 45% um, tariff. Yeah, he's for a 45% tariff, which if you just think about that, the Republican candidates for 45% tariff. So, you know, you, you want to walk into Walmart and pay 45% more for lots of things. You, you're, the foreign cars that a lot of Americans like to buy, you want those to be 45% more, including yeah. the ones that are made in America. One of the things that Trump is, we're supposed to supposedly give him credit for, or we did give him credit for a couple months ago, connecting to the anxieties of the working class. And so even if the 45% tariff is this terrible um, prescription for that ill, how would you, if you had a candidate who was pro-trade and thought, say, the TPP was a good idea, by the way, that's what I believe. Do you just de-emphasize that? Do you try to sell it a different way? Uh, how would you deal with a candidate who had that position? Look, you have to go out and make the case for why this is good. You know, you, there's plants all across the country where they have a Mexico line, where they produce products made to Mexican specifications. But part of running for president is being able to articulate an argument, not just settle a score. And Trump is someone who plays to everyone's the sort of darkness that is within all of us. I mean, all of us have a side that we think, you know, like I got cheated here. I could have done better here. And, and Trump just manipulates that. And I also think we have to be honest, uh, particularly Republicans have to be honest, about the degree to which Trump is playing to race. You've never had a candidate in America, not even George Wallace did this, who it seems seemingly obsessed with racial purity the way Donald Trump is. The way he goes after Elizabeth Warren for, you know, the Pocahontas thing, that's, that's, that's about racial purity. And, you know, of all the people who criticized Donald Trump at the Democratic convention, and everybody did, that's what happens at a convention, uh, who's he obsessed with? He's obsessed with the cons. Yeah. It's not clever. I mean, tr Trump himself is someone who wrote in his book, Art of the Deal, that he was Swedish. He was afraid of his own heritage. It's okay to be German in America. I mean, for heaven's sakes. I mean, look, I love Sweden. I go to Sweden all the time. I understand why everybody wants to be Swedish. We probably all should be Swedish. But, you know, the guy's not Swedish. And he wrote that he was. It's just a strange sort of obsession with ideas and concepts that really are, as a society, we have decided are un-American. So I have been reading about how what his campaign will do if it is unsuccessful, and it certainly is trending that way, it will, it will hurt campaigns. There is the uh, part of a political campaign where it gives a lot of people an opportunity to work on a campaign. And if you were right. in AA one year, then you kind of get bumped up to AAA. And so he has a small campaign. It's not doing its job. Let's write that off. But what about arguments? Do you think that his stance is sort of torpedoing trade? as a viable issue to Republicans for decades? Eh, maybe that's too much, but for years to come? I, I think Trump is, is, is sort of a neutron bomb that's, that's going off in the Republican Party that is going to kill or damage everyone associated with him while leave the sort of shell of the structure intact. The greatest threat here is what's happening uh, with Latino voters. So before 1964, Republicans routinely got 30, 35% of African-Americans, which isn't great, but if you're at 35, maybe you can see 40, maybe you can get up to 45. It's a basis you can improve on. After 64, it fell off the cliff to where it is now. I mean, at latest polls, you can't find an African-American for Trump. I mean, it's... Right. 
You, it's shameful. It's, if you it's had shameful. told, so you ran Romney in 2012, and if I had told any Republican, well, next time out, we're going to do worse among African Americans than the time we ran against the first black president, I don't think any Republican would have believed it. It's not only the running and doing badly, it's the almost rejoicing and doing badly. Yeah. But, but, but right now, Trump is getting 12 to 14% of Hispanics. Romney got 27%. And I worked for Bush, and we were able to get up north of 40%. If what happens with Hispanics is the same, and Republicans, is what happened in 64 with uh, African Americans, we won't elect a Republican president for the generation, at yeah. least. And, and in 64, the share of African Americans as a percent of the population wasn't increasing like it is with Hispanics now. But this was all this was all in the autopsy, which seemed spot on. You obviously look at the demographics. You have to do better with people other than white men. But here comes Trump in the primary, and he kind of treats the autopsy. If anyone embraced the autopsy, it became a death warrant. So don't you blame the voters for just wanting the wall so much that they're slashing their own throats? Well, there's, there's a couple of ways to look at Donald Trump. One simple way is to say, look, a plurality of Republicans have proven in multi-candidate fields that they'll vote for unelectable candidates. That's how we ended up with Todd Akin, Richard Murdoch, Sharon Angle in Nevada. Uh, so in a way, Trump is just in that mode. And it hadn't happened before in a national election, but maybe it's, you know, it's kind of odd that it hadn't because what's a national election, a series of primaries, but a series of state elections. Yep. The other way to look at it is it's sort of what I call the guns of August theory. You know, the great book by Barbara Tuckman about how World War I started when no one wanted World War I to start. And then it's a combination of the inability to imagine something happening, helping it to uh, occur. And I think that a lot of people, myself included, couldn't imagine Trump winning a Republican primary. So therefore, they treated him as someone who ultimately would lose and therefore didn't need to be dealt with. And you mix in a series of, you know, that kind of miscalculation, cowardness, uh, your own personal perspective on it, you know, you end up with Donald Trump. Well, the two, are, the two are related, aren't they? Because if it wasn't a multi-candidate field, if it was just a one-on-one, then the other candidate would have had to take down Trump. But with a multi-candidate field, everyone says, well, we know that if I'm the one to take him down, I might take him down, but I'm going to take myself down. But my question is actually, why do you think it's Republicans who do this and not Democrats? What is the characteristic of Republicans that put forth these candidates who are unelectable and unpalatable to the general electorate? Well, you know, um, I think if, if it wasn't for Donald Trump, we'd all be marveling, rightly so, at, at Bernie Sanders. And what Bernie Sanders did was, was, I think, extraordinary. I'm someone who's watched Bernie Sanders since I was at Middlebury College, and he was running for mayor of Burlington, and he won about 10 votes. I, I think that uh, there has been this nutty idea, understandable but nutty idea, that there is an America uh, that exists— still that doesn't exist. So people have, have played to that. I, I go back to this. You know, Ronald Reagan won a sweeping landslide in 1980 with 57% of the white vote. Mitt Romney won 59% and lost. The country's just changed. I think we should embrace that. We should celebrate it. You look at the great companies today in America and how many are, are, are formed by those who were not born in the United States or children of immigrants, uh, from Apple to Google. This is, the, this is the essence of the greatness of America. But there's a, this idea, and it's sort of in, encapsulated and make America great again. I mean, America is great. But I think that there's this longing among Republicans, some Republicans, 
And some of it is commercially driven. I mean, if you're Laura Ingram or, or Hannity, you're in the business of marketing to that crowd. That's fine. Okay. But it, you can't confuse it with reality. And as I said, you know, you can argue, I suppose, whether or not there's a moral case for the Republican Party to represent in national elections a broader spectrum of the country. I think there is. Some would argue, I suppose, that there's not. But you can't really argue that there's not a political imperative for the Republican Party to. You just can't get there. So, you know, but there's been this theory that only if you were uh, angrier at the media and yelled at the media more, if only you appealed to white voters more, you could win. Well, you know, Donald Trump is headed to, by all reasons and data indicates, to be uh, a catastrophic and historic loss that is going to have terrible consequences up and down the ballot and terrible consequences for the Republican Party long term. Will the party learn? Because it seemed that it was in a place where it would have learned going into it, 17 candidates, great field, knowing not to say, uh, excuse me if I'm being inaccurate here, but a phrase like self-deportation, which was thought to have very much hurt Mitt Romney's general election chances. So most of the people, it would seem, had gotten the memo, and here comes Trump. That it's exploitable in four years uh, hence also. You know, in, this, in July of 11, a generic Republican was getting 27% of the Hispanic vote, and that's what Romney got. So, you know, we didn't do better with Hispanics. We didn't do, we didn't do worse than we should have. But clearly, you had to do better. And the party needed to make all these things that I think the autopsy had. Just the process of going through it was very commendable. I think Reince deserves a lot of credit for that. It's always hard to be self-critical of an organization that you've just led. Trump has gone 180 degrees. But what he's really doing is proving that the autopsy was right. Yeah. Because Trump is shrinking the party. So, you know, we talk a lot about, particularly after 2012, and there was a lot of instant conclusions about 2012, some of which are right, a lot of which are wrong. You know, we talk about how Republican voters, Republicans need to do better with women and need to do better with young voters, right? Often said. That's not really true. That's not really the point. Romney won white voters by 14, white women voters by 14. He won voters under 30 by seven points if you were white. Mm. The denominator here is not age and it's not uh, gender, it's ethnicity. There's, they even have an, an argument about it. It's sort of like cutting yourself in the kitchen on a glass and you're bleeding heavily and you're debating whether or not. You know, should should we, like, try to stop this bleeding? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Or you can sit there and argue about it until you pass out and die. Um, and then the autopsy will be a real autopsy. Then it'll be a real autopsy. I mean, but just the idea that you're even debating this is so crazy. But I have these arguments all the time with people. I mean, Reince has said this, you know. Well, we tried someone who was decent and honest. And Boy Scout, as Reince put it, let's go another direction. It, it's sort of like saying, okay, we use modern cancer drugs and treatment like chemotherapy, and people still die of cancer. So we should use leeches, and that'll cure cancer. And go like, I don't know, man, leeches, I, I, I'm, I, I'm not feeling good about leeches. <laughs> and they go, well, have you tried it? Well, no. So, okay, you can't prove to me it won't work. So, you know, this is, this is a cycle in which Republicans are trying to use leeches to cure cancer, and they're learning it doesn't work. 
Well, I do have to say, by comparing Donald Trump to a leech, you insult leeches, sir. <laughs> the, the Innocent Have Nothing to Fear, a novel by Stuart Stevens. It has uh, resonances, but also it's set in an economically collapsed, dyspeptic future that you just might long for as compared to the actual present. <laughs> Thank you so much. Great talking to you, Stuart. Listen, it's great to, great to be here, buddy. I really appreciate it. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. And that's it for today's show. The Gist is produced by Mary Wilson, who takes Kenya Moore's side in the fight against Tootie Fields. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcasts, finds it interesting that it's a race between demography and actuarial tables. If you eat enough of Paula Deen's cooking, the eventual demographic changes of the United States composition probably won't have an impact on your life. Andy Bowers, chief content officer of the Panoply Network, was out the second puck ate that other dude's peanut butter. The gist, I wanted to include NASCAR star Jeremy Clements in that little tribute, but he reminded me too much of the Flight of the Concords guy, and I didn't want to unfairly malign the New Zealander. Rumpuru de Peru du Peru, thanks for listening.